Hello and welcome to the Archbishop's Corner. This is where we meet each week to talk with Hartford Archbishop Leonard Blair about faith, morals, the life of the church today, and how the gospel makes sense in an ever-changing world. This is where we go to find the answers to our lingering questions about the teachings of the church, living the faith life of a Catholic in contemporary society, and developing a stronger relationship with God. I'm Father John Gatzak, with many questions that you and I will ask Archbishop Blair as he responds to what matters to you in the Archbishop's Corner. There is a simple procedure that you probably learned in kindergarten that will serve you well today. This procedure taught you what to do if your clothes caught on fire. It consists of three simple steps, stop, drop, roll. When there is a fire in your life, a problem that you have been unable to stop the spread of, do not try to fight it on your own. Don't run for the roofs. Don't try to fill a bucket or pry the extinguisher off the wall. Stop. Stop all movement. Stop all your attempts to fix it or make it better. Stop and then drop. Drop your defenses. Drop your excuses. Drop all plans. Drop the need to know anything. Drop the need to do anything. Stop and drop to your knees. On your knees, in prayer, is the position you must assume if you want the fire marshal to put the fire out. God is the fire marshal, and when you roll the situation over into God's hands, you can rest assured that help is on the way. There are some fires in your life that you simply cannot put out. These are the stop, drop, and roll over to God problems. These problems are like fires that will spread unless you do something quick. In the Archbishop's Corner is where Archbishop Leonard Blair will encourage you to stop, drop, and roll your problems over to God. In faith and with faith, you will not get burned. So thank you, Archbishop Blair, for sharing some time with us in the Archbishop's Corner. How are you? Very well, thank you. Well, today is the first full day of summer. Like yesterday on the summer solstice, we experienced 13 hours and 47 minutes of daylight today. For those of us who have been staying indoors to quarantine, today's the perfect opportunity to open up those blinds or windows to allow some sunshine in and brighten your day. Although autumn is considered Americans' favorite season, summertime is a favorite season for many as well. Which season do you prefer, Archbishop? Oh, I like the summer the best. Uh, I do, too. Got any plans, especially for this summer? Oh, those are all disrupted by mm -hmm. uh, the coronavirus, but I certainly intend to take some time uh, off and away. Uh, I think we all need to have a little bit of a breather. Absolutely. And speaking of the coronavirus, do you have any idea? I know this is on the minds of many people. We've opened up our churches for daily mass celebrations. Do you have any idea when the parishes will be opening up for Sunday mass? Yes, well, of course, we're eager to do that, but always following all the uh, guidelines and uh, limitations that are for the sake of people's health. Mm -hmm. So right now, I anticipate that we will uh, be open again for uh, weekend Masses, for Sunday Masses, uh, the weekend of July uh, 4th and 5th, Saturday, Sunday, 4 and 5 July. Uh, I have uh, asked, consulted with the priests of the Archdiocese about this. And I've gotten uh, mixed responses. Some are eager to open Sunday Masses even sooner, others even later. You know, a couple things always remain uh, in place, namely that people are dispensed from the obligation to attend Sunday Mass uh, right now through September is what I've uh, indicated. Uh, if you are elderly, sick, or caring for someone sick, you should really uh, think twice about coming. Better that you uh, stay away. And thirdly, that uh, if you do come, you're obliged to follow the uh, restrictions and precautionary measures that are placed on, on you. And also, we are observing the maximum number of participants requirements of the civil authorities. 
So that means that uh, indoors, no matter how big the church, uh, you can only have a maximum of 100 people. The way it's stated is either 100 people or 25% of capacity, whichever is less. So obviously, if you're in a small church, you wouldn't have 100 because if the social distancing means you can only have 50 or 80, well, then that's, that's the norm. Now, we will monitor this very carefully with the civil authorities, what's happening in other spheres of life about the numbers of people that are allowed to gather. And certainly, we don't want the church uh, uh, to be shortchanged or to be overly restricted when it comes to the numbers. Uh, but uh, for starters, uh, this is where we're at right now. My understanding from other places where they have opened up for Sunday Mass already, or even for weekday Mass, is that they're not overwhelmed with people wanting to come in. People are being very cautious about their health, and rightly so. And finally, I would say, if a parish really cannot do the things that they're required to do uh, to open up this way, they might not open up for Sunday Mass right away. I hope that will be minimal, and certainly I want to know if a parish, uh, for some reason, can't do, do can't meet the requirements, and if they can't, you know, certainly we'll try to do everything we can to help them. But it does remain a local responsibility. And I will say, too, that, you know, I think our priests are concerned that they don't want to be uh, policemen. You know, mm-hmm. what do you do if you if your church can only accommodate 80 according to the norms and 85 people show up, and the last five that show up, unless they have some way of registering online or telephoning in, as some parishes have. But let's say that happens. I mean, they're just going to have to say, we're very, very sorry, but the church is full. And you know how people are. Um, I mean, I've heard of people in public who are in different venues who refuse to wear a mask and all this. I would certainly hope that people who come to church would be willing to and and able to cooperate with what we're asking of them uh, for now for everybody's safety. And it's certainly not a very churchly, godly thing to be uh, using the occasion to create hard feelings or difficulties for people who are trying to do their best uh, to protect everyone's health and safety. So that's where we're at right now. Do you recommend that, that people call ahead and make a reservation, perhaps? I, I hate oh, to call it a reservation, that, but... That was left to every parish to, to, uh, to do. And, uh, I, I, and I know that, you know, the parishes had different approaches to this. And at least for weekday Mass, I hear that it's very good, you know, that people are, are using this. They're, you know, sometimes it's been said, well, you know, a lot of our parishioners are older and, and they don't take to the web or the computer. And that's simply not true. Uh, I mean, now, there certainly are people like that. We shouldn't uh, shortchange our, our older parishioners. They can be pretty savvy about using online things and the computer as well. So it's up to each parish, and uh, we try to de- deal charitably, but also we have to de- deal firmly with, with the, the uh, requirements that are placed on us, which is, uh, you know, for everybody's health and safety. Well, Tuesday, Archbishop, is Let It Go Day, which is the perfect occasion to stop wasting energy on negative feelings and instead focus on building a positive future. This day began with the intent of encouraging people throughout the world to let go of their regrets and forgive themselves for actions taken in the past. How important do you feel it is not only to forgive others, but also to forgive yourself? Well, that's true. I mean, I think even the social sciences and uh, mental health experts will tell you uh, even apart from uh, uh, the spiritual life, although they're really not separate, obviously, let's just say from a secular point of view, secular uh, sciences or health sciences, that hanging on to things and let them, letting them eat away mm-hmm. at you is very unhealthy. And uh, so that just confirms what we know spiritually. We have known spiritually for a very long time. Uh, you know, forgiveness uh, is not just about forgiving others, but there has to be a kind of forgiveness of oneself, too, in the sense 
I mean, only God can forgive sins, but uh, we have to be willing to accept uh, the fact that there is uh, mercy, forgiveness, that it is possible to repent of what we've done. It's possible to make reparation for what we've done spiritually and materially. It's not a healthy thing either for our minds or souls to cling to all kinds of things that we can't undo, but rather through prayer and penance and through really a confidence in divine mercy that we can we can move forward. Be kind to oneself. Jesus said, love your neighbor as you love yourself. I think we forget that sometimes, that you know, there's a kind of self-love that's sinful and wrong, but there's another kind of love that purified and holy that is absolutely necessary. On Wednesday, we observed the Nativity of St. John the Baptist. Question for you, how important was the role of John the Baptist to the ministry of Jesus? Well, in the great unfolding of Revelation and God's plan that is revealed in the Bible, in the scriptures, we see that uh, John the Baptist was that uh, fulfillment, kind of the high point of the old and the precursor of the new. And uh, so he really embodies uh, really the, the whole uh, prophetic um, uh, tradition of the, uh, of the Old Testament, and he points the way to Christ. So he is he's in that kind of uh, uh, moment of, uh, of, of change and of fulfillment. And Thursday marks 58 years since the Supreme Court's decision to ban prayer in public schools. The Supreme Court ruled that a prayer read aloud in public schools violated the First Amendment separation of church and state. Looking back over those 58 years, Archbishop, what effect would you say that decision has had on our country? Well, I don't think you can take that decision in isolation from the whole secularization of the country that it's taken place, that really religion has been banished from most everything, really, in public. I mean, we do some lip service to it, and political people, not not all of them, some of them are sincerely religious, but, you know, many will, uh, you know, do the thoughts and prayers kind of thing for the sake of those who, who are practicing religion or faith. But otherwise, it's pretty much banished from uh, from public life. Obviously, as people of faith, it's not banished from us. Nothing can banish it from our hearts and minds and souls. So we have to be the witnesses who, uh, through our prayer and witness, uh, keep the flame alive and bear witness to uh, the things of God uh, and of faith in, in the world. You know, it's a, it, in a pluralistic society, I understand, and I can appreciate that, um, you know, prayer sometimes or other things can uh, fa- seem to favor one over another. Uh, but I think sometimes we've gone to the opposite extreme. You know, some of these kinds of things where a memorial cross for deceased soldiers or something was placed on a public land and suddenly, they, you know, all these lawsuits that that has to be banished. Mm. Uh, so many things like that that I think are uh, uh, extreme. Let's take a look now at our Gospel reading on this 12th Sunday in Ordinary Time, the 21st day of June. Our reading for today is taken from the 10th chapter of Matthew's Gospel, and after the dramatic presentation of today's Gospel, we'll talk about how it applies to our own lives and ask you, Archbishop, for your thoughts. So, have no fear of them, for nothing is covered that will not be revealed, or hidden that will not be known. What I tell you in the dark, utter in the light, and what you hear whispered, proclaim upon the housetops. And do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? And not one of them will fall to the ground without your father's will. But even the hairs of your head are all numbered. 
Fear not, therefore. You are of more value than many sparrows. So, everyone who acknowledges me before men, I also will acknowledge before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I also will deny before my Father who is in heaven. Archbishop, what first comes to mind on hearing this gospel account by Matthew? Well, I think this is very powerful. You know, uh, Jesus says, fear no one. I think that could be a whole uh, meditation in itself for each and every one of us. We fear an awful lot of things, uh, and we fear what can happen to us if we don't toe the line uh, in uh, a secular, unbelieving world. And Jesus says, fear no one. And even so, more than that, you know, we should proclaim from the housetops, and we should not be afraid of those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. I think that's tremendously powerful. I mean, it's the basis for martyrdom as uh, giving your life for Christ and for the faith that is uh, really uh, at, at the heart of, of, of the Christian gospel. You know, Jesus gave his life on the cross, and we, also ha- we all have to make a gift of self that involves being crucified, not necessarily by the government or people persecuting the church, but, you know, Jesus said, unless you take up your cross every day and follow me, you cannot be my disciples. So we all have our crosses. Some are external, some are internal to us, but um, we have to do this. But by the same token, the other part of the gospel is that uh, we are infinitely precious to God. So somebody can cut off our head or, or put us to death and, or, or ostracize us, throw us out of, of society because of Christ and what we believe. And I assure you, as is clear what is happening in our society, people of Catholic faith are more and more going to be pushed to the edges and people will pay a price if they if they bear witness to their faith. But Jesus says, it doesn't make any difference. You know, you're worth more than even a little sparrow that God takes care of and he will certainly take care of you. And uh, all of these things will be um, in the judgment. They're not of this world, but they're in the world to come. Whoever denies me before others, I will deny before my heavenly father. And whoever acknowledges me before others, I will acknowledge. So this is about judgment. And, uh, you know, I think of how many people today are absolutely cowed uh, into hiding their Catholic faith or not speaking up for it, or sadly, even throwing in the towel and just abandoning it, even though they claim to still be Catholic, but they they espouse all kinds of things that are contrary to, to the faith. So this is a very powerful, powerful gospel, and it hits us right between the eyes, but it is what it is. It also is empowering in, in that the promise is that everyone who acknowledges the Lord, he will not deny before his heavenly Father. But if we deny him, he will deny us. This brings out the fact that there is reward for those who stand up and believe in spite of the challenges to faith today. Well, it's all modeled on Christ's own life. Every Christian has to live this, that Christ bore witness to the truth. He was opposed by the power of darkness and of the world. He was uh, treated with utter ignominy and shame. He was uh, beaten, bruised, defiled, and lied, uh, you know, defamed, and lies were told at his trial. And he opened out his mouth, and he died on the cross in a cruel way. And God raised him from the dead. And Jesus says that this is a pattern for all of our lives. Now, it's not so, uh, for, for, for any believer. It's not that, uh, how should we say, even gory or, or physical. But there's always a price to be paid for being a follower of Christ, for living the faith. Uh, 
and uh, I don't know how people, you know, this kind of easy uh, idea of religion is kind of, well, you know, as they say, blessing that God is there is kind of a benign figure to bless the nice things of life, you know, and uh, that's that's not what the gospel is about, and not what the Christian faith is about. So, uh, you know, whether it's spiritual or material opposition or sufferings or woes, uh, that that's part of, of the faith. St. Paul says it's only through many trials that we come to the kingdom of God. Uh, so, you know, it couldn't be clearer in the New Testament and in church history. So we shouldn't close our eyes or pretend otherwise. He says to us that we are worth more than many sparrows, that even all the hairs on our heads are counted. The idea is that we are important to to the Lord. Is Jesus also telling us of the importance of people in that? If we are important to him, we should be important to each other. Yes, certainly. And take care of each other. I mean, this is certainly in, in our society today when we're talking about racism and injustice of various kinds. This gospel certainly has meaning for us in that we're being told that God believes we're important. So if God believes we're important, we should be important to each other and take care of each other. Well, certainly, I mean, respect for human life uh, of every uh, race, nation, uh, age, condition uh, that is fundamental to the church's teaching about the rights and dignity of the human person. Okay, let's uh, take a look at some of the questions that have been submitted by our listeners. For instance, Kate from Hartford says, My daughter and her husband just gave birth to my first grandchild, and they have not been able to baptize little Noah yet. My grandson is now two and a half months old, but with the uncertainty surrounding the coronavirus, my daughter and her husband are still afraid to bring him into church to have him baptized. Would it be possible to have the baptism outside? Well, Kate, I certainly, uh, you know, have to, we have to respect uh, the parents uh, about this, as I know you do. Uh, we've laid out procedures for baptizing, uh, uh, carrying on a baptism service with all the precautions that need to be taken. Um, you know, and I must say, when you say outside, I assume you mean that they're actually afraid to go into the church building, even if it were empty and only had the immediate family and the priest. Um, I don't know, if I was a pastor and I thought that uh, a couple were actually that afraid to even be in the building, yes, I would, I, would, I would be willing outside the church door or something to do the baptism, talk to a parish priest about this and see what he might say. If we were having celebrating masses outside, like some dioceses have done, well, it would be up to the individual pastor then to make that determination, would you think, Archbishop? Well, we, we you know, you can have an outdoor mass in, in the archdiocese, then the, the, the number is 150. But it's not our first remedy for how we want right. to open up to mass again. But for those that, if a, if a parish or pastor decides to do it, that's fine. Uh, I don't think under these circumstances that they would be looking to go to a big mass to celebrate the baptism. Seems to me that if they're that hesitant, they would just want to celebrate the baptism and that's, that's it. Yeah. Lou from Manchester says, Archbishop, the Supreme Court last week decided that it is illegal to not employ someone because of their sexual orientation, whether that's a same-sex attraction or someone born to one sex but declaring to be the other. The U.S. Conference of Catholic Bishops reacted by saying, the U.S. Supreme Court has effectively redefined the legal meaning of sex in our nation's civil rights law. This is an injustice that will have implications in many areas of life. Does this affect who can be teachers in our Catholic schools or ministers in our parishes, or is there a religious exemption? 
Well, there has, well, first of all, let's put this in perspective that we don't bear any ill will toward a anybody. And uh, in the society in general, we, we don't uh, claim to judge their conscience or their souls about what they do. Uh, but we do have uh, a, a clear teaching about what we believe uh, in regard to these matters. And uh, I think it's important to say that uh, when it comes, for example, to, to sexual orientation, that the church has never said that a person who has this inclination, uh, it, it, that that's sinful. What is uh, not morally acceptable is to uh, engage in homosexual activity, including uh, the claim that it's possible to enter into a marriage. Uh, because the, the, from our point of view of, of uh, uh, teaching that, that this is simply not not possible. Now when it comes to uh, similarly for uh, someone to have the, uh, supposedly to change their sex, uh, th that is not something that the church believes that it's possible to do from a moral perspective or quite honestly even from a physical one other than to so uh, manipulate the human body to try to uh, effect this. So what does that mean? Well, it means that we treat all people with uh, reverence and respect, uh, but when it comes to working for the church or carrying on the ministry of the church, we say that people have to have a, a, a lifestyle that's in conformity with what we believe and teach. Uh, otherwise, it's a contradiction. So our government has always uh, recognized this religious exemption, uh, that we're not obliged to hire or keep someone uh, who espouses moral choices or a life that uh, contradicts our teaching. Now, I think the, the problem here is this law could potentially, or I think has been argued that it does erode uh, very much the, uh, our ability to do this. Uh, you know, and, and I just, uh, I mean, this is just part and parcel of where our country's going today, you know, that, uh, because let's, let's put it even apart from the, the Catholic Church. You know, what about the people in general, uh, our population in society? Are people really uh, accepting of these things or not? Do they really believe that, that, that this is the way things should be or not? But a lot of times those decisions are taken away from the people when, when a court, even the Supreme Court, just makes an edict saying that this is the way it's going to be. I, for example, that in many states, uh, the proposition to approve, uh, accept uh, legally a, a gay marriage was voted down. Uh, but yet, in the end, all of that ended when the Supreme Court simply asserted it as, a, as something that is a, a constitutional right. And as this continues, and there will be more and more of this, I'm sure, it becomes more and more difficult for people of faith or for the churches to function uh, in keeping with their, uh, with their beliefs. Now, admittedly, there are limits to this, you know. I mean, somebody could come up with a, a claim to have a religious creed that permits something that would really be awful. I don't know, a ritual murder or something. I mean, I could see that, that it's not absolute yeah. to the claim of religious freedom. Clearly, when you have something so much ingrained in history and, and teaching uh, and, and even in, in whole societies uh, of belief, then this becomes more and more problematic. But this harkens back to something we said earlier about today's gospel. It is going to be very hard, uh, growing harder and harder, to really live by the teachings of the church uh, in this world. Uh, it's moral teachings. Marlene from Enfield says, For those of us struggling with our faith, especially in the face of a global pandemic, what can we do to help us on this journey? Well, again, I would go back to what I said earlier from the gospel, you know, that uh, all of those things, uh, life, 
in this world, first of all, this is not the destination of our life. Our life here is a flash in the pan compared to eternity. We, were, we are immortal beings. We have an immortal soul. So in this world, Jesus said, you will have trouble. St. Paul says it's only through many difficulties that we come to the kingdom of God. And if you study history, you realize the t terrible crosses and sufferings that people have had through the ages, uh, both of, of health and social upset and wars and violence and, and every kind of thing. These are all crosses, and they're part of life in a, in a fallen and sinful world. Now, we have to do everything we can to overcome those things to prevent them. It's not like we just say, oh, well, that's the way it is. But inevitably, suffering is a part of life. And suffering also, even from uh, not so much even a, well, let's say, a pre-religious point of view uh, uh, or humanistic point of view, uh, suffering tests our character. Suffering uh, is meant to help us to grow in virtue. Uh, it's when we're tested by adversity uh, that can bring out the very best in people. Mm -hmm. uh, and I think that's happening, you know, even now with the with the pandemic. Look at, uh, you know, the, how we're we're thanking our healthcare workers who are ordinary people, but they're rising to a heroic level of service, True. Uh, putting their lives on the line for the sake of other people. So we see that in suffering and crosses, that uh, it's an opportunity for us to grow in virtue and to to uh, to bring out the best, as well as sometimes the worst, as things are in this world. So. God's providence governs every single life from beginning to end. We are always in the hands of God, whatever happens to us. So we just have to be people of faith, hope, and love in the midst of it all, and be filled, uh, as the scriptures say, with courage. Archbishop, this question comes to us from Larry from Torrington. And Larry says, I have friends of all religious backgrounds, but there is one friend that is very outspoken about being an atheist. It upsets me knowing he does not believe in the existence of God or anything at all. How can Christians convince an atheist that God exists? Well, you know, there have been, through the centuries, there are many um, uh, people who, uh, uh, in the church and outside, who have uh, tr tried to be in dialogue with, with atheists and tried to make a convincing uh, argument for them uh, as to the reasonableness. Because, you know, the gift of faith, nobody can, can give you that. Uh, you have to accept that grace of God. But reasonable arguments about the existence of God. I mean, of course, St. Thomas Aquinas had mm. the famous uh, proofs, you know, about uh, the existence of God uh, based on philosophy and theology. And so there's a venerable tradition of this. Uh, but in today's world, it particularly takes the form of, uh, with modern science, you know. There's a very talented uh, Jesuit priest named Robert J. Spitzer, S-P-I-T-Z-E-R. He's the retired president of Gonzaga University in Spokane. And he has done really wonderful work uh, with his Magis Center, M-A-G-I-S, uh, about engaging with the sciences. Uh, uh, and it's fascinating to hear him talk. He's really a brilliant man uh, about the cogency of the, uh, the arguments, even from the point of view of science, about the truth of creation and, and, and in the intelligent creator uh, being God. In the church, uh, this has been called apologetics. And in a way, that word is kind of unfortunate because it makes it sound like we're apologizing. That's not what it is. But apologetics is precisely this area uh, of theology that looks into engaging and developing answers to difficult questions or objections that people raise uh, to the uh, existence of God or to the faith. So I think, uh, obviously, if you're talking about a specific person, the best thing you can do is pray for them and give them a good example of faith 
And maybe you can find some way, if you find out what it is that they find objectionable about belief in God, you might, if they're open to it, provide some resources for them to, uh, that they can look at. Archbishop, we've come to the end of our program. Can you close the program with a prayer and a blessing, please? Lord, as we prepare to open more widely our churches for the celebration of public mass, uh, we ask, Lord, your blessing and your protection for all those who participate and really for all of our people in our communities that uh, amid the ravages of, and threats of the coronavirus and threats to health, that you will be with us to protect us uh, and help us to help one another by our faith, hope, and charity. And may Almighty God bless you all in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Archbishop, thank you for inviting us into the Archbishop's Corner. We look forward to joining you again next week. And in the meantime, stay well. You too, thank you. Thank you.